Hello, everyone, and welcome back to EpiCentral. I'm your host, Maddie Lewis, infectious disease epidemiologist. And in today's episode, I'm discussing diet culture and how the field of dietetics and nutrition needs to catch up. Okay, before we get into the main part of this episode, I decided to try out a new segment called No One Asked But, where I give you my unsolicited commentary and opinions, which I guess is this entire podcast anyway. And this week, I want to tell you about some of my favorite people on the internet. I'm going to give you just three, not necessarily my top three, but a few people who I really love consuming their content. The first one is named Adam Ragusia, who I found on TikTok, but later found he had a whole YouTube channel. Adam makes videos on food science, kind of like food and society type stuff. They're extremely interesting, actually. I love his videos on TikTok and on YouTube. Some of my favorites are a video he made on why some cultures rinse their rice and why others don't, and how it's like this really heated debate online. Which is really true. And if you see any videos on TikTok specifically of someone cooking rice and they don't rinse it like seven times, people in the comments will really come for them so hard. They will condemn you to rice hell if you do not rinse your rice a ton. And it's just basic cultural differences um, for a bunch of different reasons. Watch this video on it. Very interesting. Another really good video I watched recently um, that he made was about mushroom farming and how it's really more like working in a laboratory than it is working on a normal farm. And he makes really good cooking videos as well. And fun fact, I love cooking videos. I'm obsessed with them. Cooking is one of my favorite hobbies. And one of my life goals is to be able to cook just about anything, which I know is like impossible. (laughs) But I want to be able to go to a restaurant and be like, yeah, I know how to cook most of these dishes. So I love watching people cook on YouTube and it's really mesmerizing and you get to see all of their different techniques. But anywho, Adam is great and I'm flattered that we are mutuals on TikTok, not to brag. (laughs) And also recently I saw a video he made um, about how he's known on music theory Twitter as the Mariah Carey Christmas chord guy. Um, and just watch the video he made on YouTube about this. It's really interesting and kind of sad parts of the story time. Like he got very personal and um, it's one of the best like story time type of videos that I've ever seen, honestly. He's just really clearly an amazing storyteller and journalist. So go check him out on YouTube or TikTok. I'm sure he has other social media or I guess he has Twitter, but I mean, I don't know. I don't get on other forms of social media besides those. So so the next person is Kelly Stamps. She's mainly on YouTube, although she's been posting a bit more on TikTok and she probably has Instagram or something and other things, but I don't know. So just subscribe to her YouTube channel. That's where all the good stuff is. Basically, she's just an average or I guess she's not so average anymore, but she's a 20 something year old vlogger. Um, pretty similar to other like lifestyle type vloggers in some ways, but I don't really care about what she does with her day. I just watch her because she's one of the funniest people I follow on the internet. I absolutely do not know how to describe her type of humor, but it is so funny and she's just a natural at making videos. She's so funny, so entertaining. 
if she started a cult, I would be in it 100%. And you guys know I love cults. I would be the vice president of social affairs for the Kelly Stamps cult, 1000%. I would be there. And truly, I couldn't tell you anything else about her. Like, she's she's just funny, and she's a good vibe. Side note, do you ever say things and you're like, this is going to be cringy in like five years? I think that all the time. Like, I just said she's a vibe, and I say that stuff all the time. I'm constantly like, ooh, what a vibe. Both sarcastically and unironically. And I just know that in three to five years, I'm going to be like, why did I say that every chance that I got? And by then... I know that I would have already had like three other phrases that I said all the time between now and then. Um, but I don't know. This The whole phrases thing is interesting. Like, I feel like in American culture, we have so many phrases that we will say and so many different cultures and subgroups will have specific phrases like within their groups as well. And I'm just certain that the ones that are popularly used are probably phased in and out really fast nowadays with social media. Like, I assume it wasn't this fast. I feel like the that turnover is very high for phrases. It's an epidemic. I mean, before, you know, people only had, like, magazines and TV and, like, music as pop culture, but now pop culture is all over social media, and it's just so fast. Everything goes by so fast. Anywho, the next person I want to talk about, the last, is Love Maria Escudero, also known as Heart Eva Evangelista. Uh, dang it, I'm bad at saying her name. She's a Filipina superstar, and I've actually never listened to any of her music, watched any of her TV shows or movies. I have no idea what she's actually in, but um, I'm sure they're all, I'm pretty sure they're all Filipino and therefore not in English, so I haven't tried to like watch or listen to any of her stuff but I love her YouTube channel. She's like this really rich, beautiful, talented person. Her closet tour is absolutely insane you guys. She makes you want to be a millionaire or billionaire or whatever she is and I know people listening to this are probably going to be like, Maddie aren't you supposedly an anti-capitalist or socialist or something? Okay, yes, my current political ideology is very much focused on the fact that America is more than capable of meeting the basic needs of all people living here. That That's a fact. The government could do so much more, like give people healthy food, clean water, decent housing, and healthcare. Make sure everybody has those things. Not that they have to give them to everybody, but ensure that if you can't get them, then you will get them through the government, if that makes sense. But just because I believe in that does not mean I don't like nice things or find rich people fascinating. Something about the ultra-rich is just so interesting to me. They're like, they're like interesting specimens to study. I think we should normalize being a leftist and also wanting to be financially successful. Not that I need or want that much money at all. I don't care for that. But um, just normalize leftists being interested in rich people. Anyway, Hart is so cute and her fashion is of course insanely good. She is a crazy good painter. I love seeing her work. Her house is absolutely beautiful. I love her. Also, apparently she's one of the people that inspired the book Crazy Rich Asians. And as you can guess, I love that movie. It's about ultra rich people, which 
obviously fascinate me and the plot is also so cheesy and cute and Henry Golding is a top tier daddy he is so hot he is one of the hottest actors I've ever seen and I think he's so underrated why does nobody talk about Henry Golding okay let's get into the actual episode The reason I'm making this is because I casually made a TikTok one day about diet culture and white supremacy, and it went viral, which I had no idea it was going to actually get a lot of views. It's at 2 million views right now, and basically, I stitched someone else's video, which is, if you're not on TikTok, that's when you reply to a clip of someone else's video, so it'll like show a clip of their video, and then it'll show your video. And the other person who I stitched was saying, oh, people try to promote bland or boring foods as healthy, but follow me on TikTok and I'll show you how to how to make healthy foods that are appetizing and flavorful. And he shows his foods, you know, in the background. And um, they were all clearly well-seasoned, lots of flavors, sauces, and whatever. And my main thing was, yes, this is really a thing, and it's because of white supremacy. And so I'm going to give a better and deeper background about what I said in that video as the topic of this week's episode. I just want to assume the people listening to this have little background and understanding in either diet culture or racism. So I'm going to give some background on both. So I'm going to make this as simple and to the point as possible, but I ramble a lot. So bear with me. I'm going to try to make this interesting. So if you aren't someone who typically consumes content about either of these topics, I still think you're really going to like this and understand what I'm saying. And I think a lot of the points I make in this episode are things that we all kind of know and have internalized. But we're so used to society being the way it is that so many of us don't really recognize these as issues. Okay, so let's get into the background. So first of all, we know dietetics and nutrition are very important, right? I think we all know that there are foods that are more optimal to fuel our bodies and foods that are less optimal. That isn't to say that there are foods that we should just never eat. I'm just saying that there are more optimal options, right? And what you eat most of the time does affect your health in some ways. Now, let's get on the same page about race and racism. We can all agree that racism is bad. We don't want that. But what does racism really mean? Well, it's a lot of things, but for the purpose of this discussion, let's talk about representation. So for one, many people do misunderstand racism to just be this social phenomenon of hating someone else of another race. And although hating someone because of their race is in fact racism, that is only a small fraction of what racism is. Let me give you an example. People of color who lived through Jim Crow, which by the way was not that long ago, their biggest problems in life weren't always that they might have been bullied, called darky, or had their hair made fun of. A lot of people, their biggest problems were the fact that they couldn't get a decent job. They weren't allowed to get into a decent high school, into college. They weren't eligible for scholarships. They couldn't marry who they wanted to. They couldn't get loans from the bank in order to start a business or buy a house, even if white people who made the same amount of money could do all of these things. I'm sure you are familiar with Jim Crow. Racism doesn't only operate through overtly discriminatory laws, though. 
many of which were luckily overturned during the civil rights era. Part of this racism is the exclusion or lack of certain people from certain spaces, jobs, workplaces, or careers. Historically, there has never been fair representation of many racial groups in many of these jobs, including the field of nutrition and dietetics. Current statistics I could find on American registered dietitians showed that several racial groups are still underrepresented in this career path. For example, in America, about 13% of the population identifies as black, but only about 8-9% to of dietitians are black, and that's what underrepresented means. Now let's look at the committee of people who created the Dietary Guidelines for Americans. The Dietary Guidelines for Americans is a government program under the USDA and HHS, which is the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And it's a publication of guidelines published every five years, which is meant to provide nutritional advice to both Americans, but mainly, I think, for health professionals and other people in that field to know what's best for a healthy diet. And this, of course, is created by an entire committee of people, and I analyzed the committee myself for my TikTok research. So there are 18 committee members who created these guidelines and 14 of them appear to be white. Of course, I don't know the racial background of each person, and I'm sure it's not exactly 14, but that's my best guess based on pictures and last names and other bits of info that I can find on Google. There also appears to be one black man and three people I thought were possibly Hispanic or Latinos. This means that the committee specifically is also overrepresented by white people and underrepresented by every other group except maybe Hispanic or Latinos, which are basically represented fairly, but I'm not sure on that. There doesn't appear to be any representation by Indigenous, Asian, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islanders. So why is racial diversity and fair representation even important in the field of dietetics and nutrition? Well, personally, what I see as the main issue is that all people in the U.S. deserve to have nutrition and dietary advice within the context of their own culture. And that is because if you look around to all the cultural groups in America, we have a lot, right? And you'll see that we all eat very different foods every day. Our different foods have different spices and sauces and cooking techniques and styles, and some cultures eat a lot of noodles and rice, and other cultures eat a lot of fish and vegetables, and others eat a lot of meat. There isn't one way of eating healthy. Eating healthy can look a lot of different ways. And there are extremely nutritious foods in cultures across the world. Some of the healthiest people are not eating American food. Let me tell you that. And if you're sitting here thinking, well, Asian food is unhealthy because Chinese takeout is too oily, then please sit down, okay? If that's your first thought, you really need to expand your idea of what other people are actually eating in other cultures. Because let me tell you, in America, takeout Mexican food and takeout Chinese food is not what people in Mexico or China are actually eating. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of obvious, but I got some TikTok. I got a lot of TikTok comments about that. And I was like, do people really think people eat like that type of takeout food. So my argument here is that because the field of dietetics is majority white people, the foods that are promoted as healthy are put into the context of white American culture. 
not necessarily in the context of Chinese American culture or Mexican American culture or Filipino American culture, etc. So what do these guidelines look like right now? Well, if you go to the old dietary guidelines for Americans, basically all of them before 2020, they very obviously and very seriously lacked cultural diversity in their examples and pictures and advice. Look at the 2015 to 2021, for example. The most diverse thing was a bowl of noodles and veggies with chopsticks next to it. In the bowl looked like vegetable noodles maybe, and some obviously cooked frozen vegetables, the kind you use for like fried rice for example, so like the carrot, peas, corn, and green beans mixture, which are perfectly healthy by the way, and I don't know why people hate on frozen vegetables. But this bowl had like no sauce on it, and I'm not Asian, disclaimer. But I'm like 90% sure that this is not a typical appetizing meal for anyone of any Asian culture. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. Go look at the picture yourself. It's really embarrassing. I mean, like, I swear it did not have an ounce of seasoning or sauce on it. It looked disturbingly bland. And most other pictures displayed in these guidelines were things like salmon, veggies, sandwiches, fruit, cereal, salads, grilled chicken breast veggie burger, veggie pasta. I saw a tofu dish and I think maybe a taco in there. And that was the most diversity I could find. So let me explain something before I move on. First, I'm not a dietitian, nor have I read the guidelines in their entirety. And I'm aware that the pictures of the food in these guidelines are probably not themselves meant to be the main source of dietary advice, right? Like this isn't a cookbook, if you know what I'm saying. I think the pictures are there because you generally put pictures or graphics into these types of documents to support what you're saying and to break up the text and whatnot. However, I do believe that the pictures of food, which are clearly supposed to be examples of nutritious and recommended types of meals, are very much reflective of the cultures of the people who made the guidelines. Which takes me to another point, which is why there is this stereotype that white people don't season their food, or at least don't use as much or as many seasonings as other cultures. Well, if you Google this question, you'll actually find some history behind this. Of course, this is a stereotype. It's trying to say that everybody in this group does this one thing, and stereotypes are never true because of that. But where did this idea even come from? The answers I found when I sought them out on Google, it basically was this. So we all know that the European colonizers specifically wanted spices. That was like a big thing back in the day. So at one point, only the rich Europeans could afford spices, but at some point, spices became more affordable, and supply and demand leveled out, and people of all economic classes in Europe were able to use spices to flavor their foods. And I'm sure some of y'all don't know this. I know this because, like I said earlier, I have a fascination with the ultra-rich. People at the top really like separating themselves from people at the bottom. I mean, we all see examples of this every day. The ultra-rich will buy and wear brands and clothes and purses and accessories that don't really differ in the quality of something that you could buy somewhere for $150. But to them, they buy something that costs $15,000, even though it's similar quality. And that's because they want to feel special and different. Another example is like how kings and queens would dress in Europe way back when. They wore these huge dresses and crowns and jewelry of all different colors, 
while everybody else wore brown and white baggy clothes made from wool. Nowadays in America, look at the interior design styles of the rich and famous. I love the Architectural Digest YouTube videos, by the way. Again, the ultra-rich just fascinate me. Look at Kim Kardashian's house, for example. These design styles are, in general, pretty minimal. The average person's home does not at all have a similar design style. Although I do have to say, in the last three to five years, minimalistic design seems to have taken over the mainstream, which means we can reasonably expect the rich and famous to do the exact opposite here soon. So yeah, you get the point. The rich like to separate themselves from everybody else. And that's apparently what happened with spices. And yada yada yada, I don't care to share the history of how that might have came to America and how that got trickled down and like whatever. But that's the idea that some people have of this whole spice thing with quote unquote white people. Although again, I must emphasize that stereotypes are not true and obviously white people do use seasonings, but there are differences in white American cooking practices compared to other cultural cooking practices. And there seems to be less going on in the seasoning category, comparatively. Dioculture is basically a word people use to describe a very popular ideology in America that values thinness and looking good or attractive over actual physical and mental health. When people criticize diet culture, they're often criticizing this popular ideology that promotes dieting, restrictive eating, and assigning foods as either good or bad. Common examples of diet culture is the amount of advertisement put towards diet teas, diet drinks, pills, and other products aimed to lose weight fast, without actually caring about giving that consumer proper nutrition, enough food, or tools to make a sustainable healthy change to their diet or their lifestyle. Diet culture is also the gem bros of the internet, who I love to make fun of, but also feel bad for, because a lot of these people very clearly struggle with obsessiveness. Gym bros are the guys who go to the gym five to seven days a week, drink protein powder twice a day, eat chicken and broccoli every day for lunch, and are always counting calories, even though that is entirely unnecessary given their health status. So diet culture isn't just one thing, but once you know what it is, it's not hard to recognize on social media. Now let's contrast this to good dietary and general health education. Good general health education and dietary advice would look like, oh, how about you listen to your hunger and fullness cues that your body gives you? Or try to incorporate lots of whole plant-based foods. Eat things like red meat and ultra-processed foods in moderation. Avoid binge drinking. Try to take more walks. And if you're going to cut calories, do it in small increments so that your body can undergo these sustainable metabolic changes over time and you don't have to starve yourself. Therefore, you will stay consistent long term. However, you will only lose a couple pounds a month versus a couple pounds per week if you were to cut twice as many calories. That would be better health education. Obviously a big part of all of what is promoted as healthy and unhealthy in diet culture. Obviously this is a big part of what is promoted as healthy and unhealthy in diet culture. And also I would argue diet culture is the predominant culture on social media. What gets clicks isn't the examples that I just said about cutting calories slowly and listening to your body's hunger cues. 
It's more like advertisements for diet teas and keto diet recipes and low-carb everything. And again, for TikTok research, I went on Instagram and searched diet food and looked at the top accounts. To be honest, these accounts had more flavor going on than I expected. I was kind of impressed. I expected things to look a little bland on there because traditionally what you see as promoted as healthy on social media is relatively bland food. It's like chicken and broccoli and rice. But regardless, these recipes I found were not very culturally diverse. From what I've seen, diet culture or basically what is just promoted as healthy in general in America tends to promote the same foods over and over. The foods that I see the most promoted as healthy are things like eggs, particularly boiled eggs, salmon, smoothie bowls, broccoli, green beans, now, I like and eat most of those foods, and there's no doubt that any dietitian would be happy to see their patients happily eating any of those foods. I'm, I'm saying that they are healthy. However, it's a big bummer that the healthy recipes and the accounts that get the most clicks aren't very culturally diverse. For me, some of the yummiest and most nutritious foods I've ever had were from different cultures. For example, I've had lentil dishes like Indian dal, dal or mujadara. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's a Middle Eastern, specifically an Arab dish, according to Wikipedia, and sorry if that is incorrect. Lentils are so good for you, and you guys cannot sleep on dal or mujadara. Also, I had a classmate make me traditional Lebanese food once, and it was some of the best food I've ever had, like tabula, I think I'm saying that right, huh, which is like an herby tomato salad. And I could go on and on about several different Asian and African cuisines that are also really, really nutritious. And of course, I'm not saying these foods are never shown or like, I'm not saying that these foods or diets are intentionally hidden from all of us online. These recipes are available. You can find them. But they're not mainstream, nor are they promoted by the experts. And it's pretty unlikely that they are really promoted by most dietitians in their practices. Okay, that last point does deserve a disclaimer, though. I have never been to a dietitian myself, but word on the street is that nowadays, they are taught more about how important it is to give dietary advice within the context of a patient's cultural practices. And I have no doubt that the field is getting better and better. In fact, if you look at the 2020 to 2025 Dietary Guidelines for Americans, the pictures are way more diverse. They are so much better. And even the people featured on it are my, more diverse, which I found interesting. And as I should have said earlier, my goal here isn't to just attack the field of nutrition and dietetics. As an epidemiologist, I clearly see the value and need for their work, and I'm sure almost every single dietitian or dietary expert in this field is practicing because they really do care about their patients and wanting the best for them. But that's not at all what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what has been going on for a very long time in this field and what we still need to change so that people of all backgrounds can receive the dietary advice that is in the context of their own cultures. And honestly, it's not just about non-white people. I think if everyone in America, white people included and everyone else included, were to see this shift of more cultural diverse foods promoted as healthy, then I think everyone would really benefit from it. Let's do a little exercise, actually. 
So growing up as a 14-year-old, let's say, uh, if someone were to ask you to name healthy dishes or meals, what would you say you imagined or thought of? Or even right now, what do you imagine as healthy food? For me, the first things I think of healthy foods are honestly things like salmon and rice, vegetables, uh, chicken rice and vegetables, salad with grilled chicken or grilled shrimp, baked tilapia, pasta with veggies like pasta primavera. I think of mashed potatoes and broccoli and chicken, granola bars, smoothies, fruit, uh, just like lots of salad. I don't think of tabule, tabule, am I saying that right? Or homemade egg drop soup or lamb curry. And most people listening to this, I'm sure, have a similar experience, regardless of your background, as long as you grew up in American culture. And I think for people who feel like they do want to make dietary changes for their health, I think it would be a little more tempting to do so if the ideals for healthy food weren't just like these things that I named earlier, like grilled chicken and broccoli or like salmon and rice, but if instead they saw representation of these really flavorful and diverse dishes from around the world. So that's really my point, is that if you really look into the field of nutrition and dietetics, it's not perfect. No field of study or practice is perfect. And I am definitely outspoken on the ways in which epidemiology and public health are not perfect at all. Trust me, I myself will point out these flaws. I know this field is not perfect. I think we all, I think all people in a career field should be able to recognize the ways in which their career field needs improvement. For example, if you're a teacher or a police officer or a firefighter, please do your due diligence and try to understand the ways in which your field can improve. And obviously be that change. Talk about that change. Suggest solutions for things to get better in your field. So I'm not just trying to bag on dietetics and nutrition. Like I think it's a very amazing field, but I think we do need to realize that there needs to be growth here and we should expect things to get better. Let's manifest it. And I'm no expert and I don't even work in this field, but I do really believe that one of the best solutions to these problems here is for people of color to enter this field and to change it themselves. Not to say that all of the work should be put on people of color to do the work, to make the changes. But let me say this. For one, people of color are underrepresented anyway, so we do need that as a solution for that reason. But number two, typically from what I've learned over the years, is that solutions to issues just go better and smoother when the people who are actually most impacted by the issues are the ones who craft the solutions and direct the show themselves. Well, that's all I have for today. I'm so grateful to everyone who listened to this in its entirety, and I hope it was interesting and entertaining to you all. Please feel free to email me at epicentralpodcast at gmail.com and give me your feedback, opinions, questions, or whatever. I hope everyone had an amazing day, and I'll be back next week. Bye! (laughs) 